Welcome to Addiction in the Family, Episode 9, A Mother-Daughter Story. How has addiction affected your family? It robbed me of my father. Addiction's affected my family in absolutely every way. Um, it has caused a lot of turmoil. It goes back to what I understand is at least three generations. It robbed my daughter of her mother. It robbed my mother of her daughter. Addiction has made our family quite challenging. Addiction affected my family tremendously. Uh, it's affected my relationship with my sister where I wouldn't I'd go for months without talking to her. It's a very difficult thing for everybody involved. It doesn't just affect the, the one individual. It's a disease that affects the whole family. Addiction has spread not only genetically through like some of my uh, relatives and I assume ancestors. It's uh, generational. I think of him every day. Welcome to Addiction in the Family, a podcast by and for family members of anyone with an addiction. My name is Casey Arriaga and I'm a social worker and addiction counselor at both Windmill Wellness Ranch and In Mind Out Emotional Wellness Centers in Texas. I've led hundreds of family workshops, but I've also lived the experience of being family to addiction as both a child and adult. My wife Kira and I were in our addictions together for over a decade and now have been in recovery together for almost 20 years. Join us as we offer experience, strength, and realistic hope about how you and your family can find recovery together. Hi, this is Kira. This episode is part of our Spotlight on Recovery series. In it, a mother hears her daughter's story for the first time, which helps pave the way for healing. It features Jules, a mother who went through decades of addiction before finding recovery, and her daughter Izzy, who shares her own perspective on what it's been like for her. We often hear the stories of people with addiction at addiction recovery meetings like AA, NA, SMART, Celebrate Recovery, and so many others. And we often hear the stories of their loved ones in family recovery fellowships like Al-Anon, Families Anonymous, and Adult Children of Alcoholics. But we rarely hear those stories put together. We'll listen to that interview right after a word from one of our sponsors. Addiction in the Family is brought to you in part by the generous support of Windmill Wellness Ranch, an innovative treatment center located in the beautiful hill country of Texas and serving clients and their families from throughout the United States. I'm Shannon Mollish, CEO of Windmill Wellness Ranch. We offer the best in neurotechnology to heal the brain and the best therapy to heal the mind. Call us today at 210-762-6217. Welcome back. One thing I noticed listening to this interview is that both Jules and Izzy are so willing and so honest. They want to share their story, but they also really want to grow and keep getting better. It's also wonderful to hear how much Jules and Izzy love each other and support each other, even after everything they've been through as a result of Jules' addiction. I work with Jules. You can probably tell by listening to her in the interview that Jules is energetic, but what you don't hear is what a recovery powerhouse she is. When a client at our facility makes a sudden decision to leave before completing treatment, Jules is the first person I want to call. She has this amazing way of talking to people that's very no-nonsense but totally loving and maternal. I find myself thinking, if anyone can convince this client to stay, it's Jules. The one time I've had the chance to sit and chat with Izzy, she came across as a smart, fun, athletic young woman with a good heart and a bright future ahead of her. Very few people are as high energy as Jules, but Izzy has her own wonderful energy and she is sweet and compassionate. 
I found it interesting that even though I can remember hiding pain like hers as a teenager, I still didn't see the pain she was carrying. Let's hear what these strong women have to say. Why don't we start with each of you just introduce yourself with your name. Um, I'm Izzy. I'm Jules. What brings you guys on a show called Addiction and the Family? Uh, we're here to talk about how our experience was with my mom being an addict and now she's in recovery while she's recovering. <laughs> I've told my story multiple times at speaker events and uh, I told my story for the first time in front of my mother and Izzy um, probably about six months ago or so. Um, one of the hardest things I've ever done to tell her all the ugly, but I thought it would also help her understand why I did the things I did and also to see how far I've come, you know? I wanted her to see the strength. Izzy, what was it like to hear your mom's story? It was very confusing because I had never seen that side of her or whatever, but you know, it was nice to hear, you know, what she went through. It's definitely something that I thought that I needed to know because in, I've seen that she's grown very strong and I know that she wouldn't go back to that place because one of the things that she mentioned was because of me, because I'm her daughter and she saw me. So she, she paid attention to that. Jules, if I can ask, how long have you been sober now? Uh, I got my three-year chip a couple months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. That's fantastic. Thank you. And Izzy, how old are you? I'm 13. Okay. So you've lived some part of that story. Yes. Your mom has her story, but you also have yours. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what we want to hear today is what your story is. And I want to check on something because I know that sometimes, like Jules, you were saying, it could be important for Izzy to hear your story. Um, but I think it can also be important for your mom to hear and for other people to benefit from hearing your story, Izzy. But one thing that I've run into sometimes in talking with people with this sort of thing is especially the kids of people with addiction sometimes are afraid if they tell too much of their story what it was like for them mm -hmm. that it might hurt their parent or it might be painful. Mm -hmm. And I want to check and see if there's any doubt in your mind about that. Um... I mean, yeah, there's always going to be that thought of, you know, like hurting my mom by saying stuff, but I think she, she needs to know, too, Yeah. how I felt and everything. Have you guys talked about that before? No, not really. Okay. Are you open to that today? Yeah. And Jules, how about you? Are you open to it? Absolutely. Okay. And is there anything that you would want to say to your daughter about her fears that she might hurt you if she tells her truth? Just that, you know, I stuff things for so long and didn't share the way I felt or what I was going through ever since I was a little girl that um, it kept me sick, you know? So I think it's important for you to share how things were for you and how it made you feel, things that you thought. That way you're not stuffing that inside and you can let go of it. That's really powerful, and I'm also going to say really courageous. A lot of parents might not be up for that. And so I want to thank you both for your courage for coming out and doing this today. And so what I might want to do is, so we have some context, to give just an overview of what your story is. Well, um, 
I'll be, you know, 44 this year. And um, growing up, I felt out of place. I didn't feel comfortable with who I was. I had a sister who was not very nice and our relationship has completely changed, but it was very hard growing up. Um, I always thought that I was ugly, fat, stupid. I didn't do well in school, you know, and I found crystal meth in high school and I didn't feel like that anymore. And how old were you at the time? I was 14, you so know. So right around Izzy's age. Mm-hmm. I started doing meth and doing good in school, making friends. I had my parents telling me, gosh, you're doing so great. So in my mind, it validated that I should keep doing it until I wasn't doing great anymore. And it didn't take very long. I was uh, stealing large amounts of money from grandma to keep paying for my drugs. I then moved to Las Vegas. And the best way to describe it is I lost my soul in Vegas. Um, it got hard, it got fast. I wasn't a very nice person. I've hurt a lot of people, ended up in jail, caused a lot of damage, and was also terrified because of the people who I was around. Very scary people. You know, I got my life together a little bit, went to California. My mother helped me fill out an application at Saks Fifth Avenue. I got the job, was doing great, felt like I had a purpose. Then um, I found crystal meth again when my son, who's now 19, was uh, two years old to the point of uh, ending up in the hospital where he found me. Jules, what's happening for you emotionally when you're saying this? Well, that I put my kids through things, you know? <laughs> that my little boy had to find me like that. I ended up in ICU for days, and they didn't think I was gonna make it. But that wasn't enough. I did good for just a short amount of time. You know, went to Iowa with Sterling, had drugs shipped to me, got arrested by the feds at the post office with Sterling in the car, with somebody ripping him out of my hands and putting me in cuffs. Finally got my life together, did very well. I became a store managers for Couture Clothing downtown LA. But then um, I struggled with pain and sickness and fatigue all the time, thinking that I had fibromyalgia. Come to find out after I had you, I had systemic lupus. So when the pain started, they put me on prescription painkillers and it just got worse and worse. Ended up with a renal failure in the hospital from the lupus. After that, it really validated, well, it's prescribed. I need to have it, you know? Um, and how old was Izzy at that point? Izzy was uh, six months old. When she was about 18 months, I went to treatment for it, came back, did well for a little bit, but it hurt. It was in a lot of pain, so I started taking it again. And then when the days that I wasn't in pain, I still took it. And I thought that this was gonna be my life. And this just went on for years. And did you go to treatment again during that time? I went to treatment um, when she was 10 for 90 okay. days. And you know, I always thought, you know, 
with other autoimmune disorders that I have that there's no way I could be off painkillers. It, it terrified me. So uh, we came out here for vacation. Um, I knew that Shannon would know that there's a problem. And who's Shannon in the story? Shannon's my sister. Okay. Nobody knew where I lived, that I had a problem. They were shocked. They had no idea. But at that time, I had no self-worth. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. You know, even though, you know, they sat me down, had an intervention, because my ego, I had to fight it. No, there's nothing wrong with me. But the moment I went into the room to start packing up my things, I had such a sense of relief. And she was with me, and Izzy had to see everything leading up those two weeks before I went to treatment. And it put her through a lot. Izzy, um, what's happening for you when you're listening to your mom? It's sad. You know, it almost makes me think like, you know, maybe she wasn't like fully there the whole time. Like, yeah, she was there, but not mentally there. You know, I just remember getting sent to my cousins, grandma and grandpa's, which I call them Nana and Papa. So they're still my grandparents. And um, I went over there because they lived near Pappy's houses where the interventionist was with my mom. And I got back and I just saw everyone sitting in the room and my mom was crying and she's like, I have to go. And uh, basically felt like um, my heart was just getting ripped out, like she was just leaving. What did you tell yourself about that? Um, I, I just beat myself down pretty hard. Um, like maybe, maybe it's my fault or maybe if we hadn't gone on this trip and maybe if I didn't want to see my cousins, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And it's really common, especially for kids around addiction, to tell themselves that maybe if I was different, maybe if I had done something different. But in a way, this is also something that you had been through before. Even though you might not remember it at 18 months, it can be very powerful for a child to feel like they're separated from their mom. So there might have been some sense of repeating history. I had no idea that she went to treatments before then, when she just left. Uh, and I know it's not like, uh, I say just left, but I know it's not like she's just leaving. It's She's trying to get better. It's just, it was really hard because I felt like I did something wrong. So she was leaving me. Do you still carry any messages in your heart around how you need to be so that your mom can be okay? I see that she's stronger. So those have kind of gone away. But you know, like every once in a while, I'll be like, you know, maybe, you know, why is everyone acting like everything's normal when it, you know, it, it wasn't at that time. You know, everyone acting like it's fine, but you know, I still felt it and I still feel it, so it's... When you say you still feel it, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, it's like, I still have like those feelings where I'm like, oh, you know, what if she has to go again? Or, you know, like, what if she just accidentally just goes for it again and I never see her again, you know? Have you talked to your mom about those fears? No, I don't like to talk to her about it because I don't want to put her down. Let me check. Jules, when you hear that, do you feel like you're being put down? No. What do you, what My do you hear? My heart hurts for her. Is there anything that you'd want to tell her about those messages that she's given herself? That it had nothing to do with you, honey. If anything, you have been like a beacon of light for me to shoot for. Jules, what do you mean by that? 
that um, you know I don't I don't want her to think that anything I did or any destruction that I did had anything to do with her. Um, if I didn't have her or my son, I don't know if I'd be here. You know. And you guys give me more strength than you know. And I wonder, Jules, do you need Izzy to act any certain way for you to be okay? No. No. I want to do everything I can to help raise her to be a strong, independent woman, you know? But nothing she's going to do will take me back out again. Ever. What's that like for you to hear your mom saying that? Um, it definitely takes stress off me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because those feelings, I don't think, will go away for a long time. But it's good to hear that I have some reassurance. And Izzy, are you aware of some of the things that you might have done in your efforts to either be the right way or keep your mom from relapsing or anything like that? Um, well, I, as soon as I found out and she got back, from treatment, I was finding meetings and groups and everything, trying to figure out, you know, like, how can I help her? I went to every meeting with her. I gave her, her all, all her chips. I was trying to keep her in check. It kind of sounds like you switched roles and you became the parent. Um, yeah, I, I tried as much as I could to be that role and try to help as much as I can. Well, I want to actually rewind the story a little bit. Before your mom got in recovery, before she went to treatment when you were 10, what did you notice? Her feelings weren't really there. Like, I could tell that she loved me. Like, that was totally, like, I could totally tell that. But I never really saw her at a low point because when she was taking the stuff, she didn't really have a low point where I saw. So I really just saw her, you know, being the happy person. And when she got mad, she just shut down. I mean, sometimes I'd walk into a room and she'd be crying and I didn't understand why. I didn't know because I was getting older and I was realizing like, oh, maybe something's wrong. What kind of messages did you give yourself about that? Um, I was like, maybe I did something wrong or maybe she's just having a bad day. I tried to kind of push it away because I didn't really understand what was going on. But even at that age, you were taking some responsibility. Yeah, I was, um, I was trying to be the best I could be, totally making sure it wasn't my fault. I was really trying to get through stuff in school even though I had a really hard time. And I didn't want my mom to help me with homework because I felt like she was stressed. So I just, I struggled a lot. But um, I'm one of the smartest kids in my class now. So, you know, I got through it. We, uh, we both definitely got stronger. A lot of times we can take the things that have happened and we can spin a lot of strength and skill out of them. But if we're not able to let go of the underlying hurt, then we never get to enjoy the rewards. Like you're never gonna forget how to study hard, how to apply yourself, but you could drive yourself crazy trying to do everything perfectly and in the name of being the best you can be, never allow yourself to relax. And I don't know how you do with that. Um, I mostly like to go out at nighttime when it's like the sun is kind of setting and I kind of just like to either talk to my friends or sit out there and play basketball or just play with my dog because I'm just like, 
I need some sort of release. Mm -hmm. I go for a walk. We'll be right back with more of Casey's interview with Jules and Izzy after a quick break. Addiction and the Family is made possible in part by you, our listeners, through the power of Patreon. If you want to help support this podcast, simply drop by our support page at patreon.com slash addictionandthefamily, or alternatively, go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Addiction and the Family. Any level of support helps us carry the message, and official patrons get sneak peek excerpts from my book in progress, Realistic Hope, The Family Survival Guide for Facing Alcoholism and Other Addictions. Visit our page on Patreon for details. And what was it like for you when your mom was in treatment? Well, I couldn't go home yet, so I was staying at my Aunt Shannon's, and I guess I didn't understand why everyone was acting like it was fine, because I didn't understand, and my brother had already left to go home. So it was just me, um, and at this time, me and my cousins have gotten better, but they were, they were really mean to me. They locked me outside and stuff, and I just, uh, I'd have to get through it, because I needed to make sure that Everyone was going to be okay. I wasn't focusing on myself. And then I went home and my dad was there and um, I think he uh, he really tried to make everything up to me. He um, we went ca- camping like every weekend, just trying to, he tried to get my mind off of it as much as he could. Did it work? It, it did for a little bit, but then um, when she came home, it kind of gave me like a reality check, and I was like, when is she gonna leave again or whatever? And uh, I guess I was scared. Um, most days I didn't want to go to school because um, I always said that my stomach hurt, but really, I just felt like she was gonna leave again. Take a moment and just breathe with that. It'll help, take a deep breath. And I really want to thank you for allowing those emotions to come up. But I hear that constant fear that your mom was going to leave again. Yeah. And that it was your job to make sure everyone was okay so that that didn't happen. And I wonder, did you ever find yourself trying to manage other people so that they wouldn't upset your mom? Um, yeah. Sometimes I'd be like, you know, maybe, maybe we should like, you know calm down when like um my parents were fighting i'd be like you know i'd start crying or i'd go tell my brother and i'd you know i'd talk to him i'd be like you know maybe if they don't yell at each other maybe everything will be okay that's a lot of people to manage yeah and uh i was friends with the kid the kids of you know people that weren't very great in her life and i kind of was just like you know maybe i should just stop hanging out with them because you know i don't want to cause anything with my mom or anything. I don't want to give her extra stress. So I hear this kid walking around with the weight of the world on her shoulders. Yeah, it, uh, it feels like that every day I wake up and um, I try to, you know, be happy when I know that I'm really just want to lay in bed all day and I don't have motivation to do things. So if I can ask, Izzy, where do you get support around this? 
my friends really because um you know they have their things with their parents and they you know they can understand me you know i usually talk to them at night time because you know that's when feelings really come up at night time when you're about to go to bed so you can mm -hmm. talk to them about things and stuff like that but i also have um i have my dad it's hard to talk to him though because um every time we go to visit him he's nice and he like he does stuff but then i'm not so nice to him because i'm like you know i'm only gonna be here for a week it's not like i'm gonna be with him forever so i kind of just ignore him and it you know it really sucks because i feel so bad for him but it's like i don't want to connect with him because I'm just gonna get taken away from him <laughs> like that. So I feel like I hear this recurring theme of fear of losing people. Yeah. He was on ships for most of my life when I was younger for two to three months at a time because he's in the Coast Guard. You know, I had that fear that I just, I was gonna lose everyone. So I just tried to hold on to the people I could and if I couldn't, I just, I didn't try at all. And if I may ask, have you ever gotten any professional support? therapist with me I really don't feel a connection they were more more talking and not listening but uh, I found a great therapist now so you know I love talking to him because he listens to me and he after I'm done talking then he you know he gives his answers and everything well the idea that you're getting support is really important and if I may ask have you ever looked into any of the recovery fellowships especially for like Alateen or something like that that's set up for teenagers that have been through this sort of thing? That would be awesome, um, but I've, I've never really looked into it. Okay, would you be open to that? I be, definitely would. I'd be happy to point you towards some resources for that. And especially right now, I'm pretty sure it's all online anyway. Yeah, definitely would. Very cool. There's also a smart recovery family and friends, which takes a little bit of a different approach, but the same basic goal of being able to find relief for family members. And Jules, what's happening for you when you're listening to Izzy tell her story? I'm really proud of you. Of course it hurts knowing that that's what she was going through and that she really didn't have very many people. And I know a lot of what she's been through has kind of shaped her a little bit. You know, she's always struggled with anxiety, and I'm sure that this has made her anxiety a lot higher. To live in fear just feel really bad for her. And this might be an important moment. Jules, I want to check with you. It is painful to hear some of this stuff, and I hear, Izzy, that you've had a lot of fear of causing your mom pain, that you might lose her or she might spin out again or something like that. And Jules, could you maybe clarify for your daughter whether or not you can survive the pain that you're listening to? Absolutely. Because it sounds like she really needs to talk about it, and that's what's important to me. Do you feel like anything she said has somehow brought you closer to relapse? No, no. I'm happy because the place that I am in my life, that I can really be here for her. I just didn't know. Well, Jules, let me check. Are you the only person who struggled with addiction in your family? No. <laughs> Shannon and I uh, used to party together quite a bit. My younger sister died tragically when she was 23 due to alcohol. So it's very much well and alive in our family. I'm willing to bet that your generation did not invent it from scratch. No. My grandmother 
maybe a hard drinker, but my aunt, uh, my mother's sister, was a uh, severe addict, and still is. And one of the reasons that I point that out is partly it is about current estimate about 50% genetic. Yes. So there's that. But there's also the family culture that gets passed down. And for a long time, there was nothing anyone could really effectively do about addiction, so most of what families did was hide it. And yes. so one of the ideas that came up for a lot of family members was that we need to not talk about it, because there's no point. We just need to hide it from ourselves, hide it from the neighbors, hide it from each other. So a lot of times, people consciously or unconsciously pass that down through generations to not talk about things, to not express our feelings. But also, Izzy, some of the things that you talked about so far in having that fear of, well, I don't want to upset the person with the addiction. What if we lose them? What if they get worse? What if they get angry and defensive? Because that's been known to happen when we challenge somebody's addiction and they're not ready to hear it yet. Yes. So between all of those things, sometimes this becomes like an unspoken rule or sometimes a blatantly spoken rule that gets passed down. So in a lot of ways, you guys are breaking that family pattern by talking about it today. And I encourage you to keep talking about it, but also to recognize that there's a chance to plant a flag here and change the trajectory of the family by being able to talk about it, by being able to stand up to those fears. But while I doubt anybody intended it, probably there's been a lot of generational pressure for you not to talk about it, for you not to talk about it, for me not to talk about it. Because mm -hmm. I grew up in a family around addiction and I took it on myself for decades, really. So there's an opportunity to do something different. And if we take that opportunity, we can change future generations that we may never even meet. And there's something really beautiful about that. I like the sound of that, Casey. <laughs> I yeah. like the sound of that. Yeah. We can't do much about the genetics yet, and I don't even know if it's a good idea if we could. Mm -hmm. But we can do a lot about the other 50%. And this is part of it. So I want to kind of check. Um, we've covered some stuff about the timeline and all that, but Izzy, I want to toss it to you again. What is something that you would want to tell your mom about all of this that maybe you haven't had a chance to tell her before? Just, it's so difficult to get through a day because I still have that fear of losing you. I have that fear of kind of losing everyone. And uh, it's hard to um, sleep at night. I think maybe that's part of the insomnia that I have because I don't know if when I wake up, somebody's gonna be gone. Like your younger sister, Mary, uh, she was like a sister to me. And uh, when she passed away, um, I think I didn't even have um, a fish die or anything. Nothing had ever passed away. And then one of the most important people to me was gone. How old were you when that happened? Uh, three. She has clear memories. She'd read books to me and she'd lay in bed with me and she'd, um, she'd just sleep with me because uh, I, I needed someone there. My mom had work, so, you know, she was, was there. And my dad, he worked late nights because he was on duty and everything, so it was good to have her there. Like a second mom, almost. And I wonder, having talked about some of the things we've talked about today and the family patterns and your feelings and some of that, if there's anything that you could say to your aunt, knowing what you know now, what would you say? Honestly, just great job. She got for nursing school, her. And uh, 
that um, I love her very much. Um, we're always gonna be there for her, even though she's gone. And I hope she knows that she, if she needs us, um, she knows where to find us. And I hope that she's watching over us right now and um, hearing this. Just, I wanna say thank you for um, all that she did for me. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but some people find it helpful when we've lost someone, and unfortunately around addiction there can be a lot of loss, can find it helpful to write somebody a letter. I, uh, I actually used to do that, and um, on her birthday, um, we'd let off pink balloons into the sky, and I'd write a little letter, and I'd put it on there, and I'd let it go. It's beautiful. Jules, is there anything you'd want to say to Izzy that you haven't had a chance to say before? Just I'm really proud of you for doing this today. Um, and I thank you for sharing with me what you felt and how you've been feeling. I, tr I try not to show my worry, but I know you've been struggling. I know you have. And I know you've had um, a lot of anxiety, especially at night. And um, know that mom's not blowing it off. I know what's going on with you. I'm just trying to get you forward the best way I know how. You know, and I love you. Love you too. I hear a little bit of a dynamic that can form that's very easy to do, especially at your age, quite honestly, where you're still walking on eggshells a little bit and still hiding some of your feelings from your mom because you don't want to upset her. And I hear, Jules, that you're also saying, I'm trying to hide my worry, and that maybe there's some feelings that you're hiding from Izzy because you don't want to upset her. And I want to check on that. Izzy, do you want your mom to be hiding her feelings from you? I, I, I don't want her to hide her feelings. I just want her to talk to me. That's all I want. And um, I will listen. And Jules, do you want Izzy to be hiding her feelings from you? No. No. So maybe there's a chance, even through this conversation, to start to shift that. Yeah. Do you guys want to try that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. And before we close up, I want to know, Izzy, is there anything that you would say to any other kids out there who might have gone through or are going through some of the things that you've been through or are going through? Just have faith and hope. And if you just try and don't stop trying, I mean, it's, it's good to relieve stress, but you should always have, you know, something there that you can hold on to and be like, you know what, I'm going to get her through this, or I'm going to get him through this, or I'm going to get myself through this, because... So, Izzy, I'm going to I'm gonna jump in, because I hear that going to that place of, like, if I try hard enough, if I run fast enough, if I'm good enough, then my parent will be okay. But we know that that's not really true. You don't have that kind of power. And I wonder, are you willing to let some of that weight go? I, I would like to. 
Is there anything you'd want to say to any other kids that are maybe carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders around their parents struggling with addiction? Um, you gotta believe in the people that you love. I know it's gonna be hard, but you just have to have hope that they're gonna get better. And Jules, is there anything you'd want to say to any parents out there that might be struggling in the ways that you have? <sighs> to be honest with your children, and now I've learned not purposely being selfish about what I'm going through or what my story is. Sitting down with your children and talking to them about what their experiences were and what their feelings were because they need a, they need a chance to tell their story and speak about it. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Mr. Rogers' approach. Which is that you can talk to kids about anything and be honest about anything and just talk in terms that they can understand, but we can tell any truth. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that any truth can be told with love and compassion. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've seen a lot of this here today, which I really appreciate that from you guys. We thank you, Casey. Thank you very much for this. Thank you. It was a blessing. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are giving a gift to a lot of people out there mm-hmm. um, who will hopefully get a chance to hear this. You know, I think this was your most powerful interview so far. Thank you. You know, I will say it is my, f- no offense to any of the others, but it is my <laughs> favorite interview that I've done. These guys were so open and honest and so willing to explore areas that they hadn't looked at before in their relationship. And I like to think that it was a testament to the power of openness and honesty in relationships, especially around addiction, which makes openness and honesty so difficult. And they took that opportunity and really showed how much a relationship can open up and grow as a result. When a parent is addicted, it's a terrible blow to the bond that they have with their children. And Izzy has obviously suffered because of her mom leaving her to go to rehab. I noticed she doesn't talk a lot about the day-to-day experience of living with a mother who is struggling with addiction. It seems like the trauma of her mother's leaving her for treatment felt bigger to her. sense of abandonment or losing people, I think that is one of the scariest things for human beings. We're such a tribal and connecting animal that the idea of losing people, whether it's through distance, time, ultimately, of course, a big fear around addiction would be death. Any of those losses of relationship are are often the scariest thing. And a lot of times, kids around addiction will withstand almost anything to be able to hold on to their parent. And so seeing these guys being able to grow closer just over the course of this interview, and I'm really happy to report that since we've recorded the interview, I've been in touch with them, and they reported that their communication has gotten better, that this was actually really helpful for them, and that uh, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, again, I was really struck by their willingness, and I know that you were too. Communication is so very important. I know it's been important for us. It was something that I feel is is missing in a lot of relationships, good communication. Communication can be learned, you know, and I think that 
Jules and her whole family have worked very hard on that. It really seems that that's true, and that's to their credit, and I can only hope for them and for anyone out there listening that they continue to grow, and for all of our listeners, you continue to grow in your openness and honesty and communication as well. You know, usually we put a bit more dialogue in our episodes, but I don't think, I I feel like this interview speaks for itself. Say goodnight, Kira. (laughs) Goodnight, Kira. Thanks for being with us through another episode of Addiction and the Family. As they say in many recovery meetings, take what you liked and leave the rest. Go out and explore the possibilities for recovery in your life and give your loved ones the space and dignity to make their own choices. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe. It means a lot to us. If you know anyone else who could use what we have to offer, please tell them about addiction to the family. If you have comments about this podcast, have a question you'd like to answer it on the show, or want to contribute your voice, or just want to say hi, you can write to us at addictioninthefamily at gmail.com. We're also happy to be your friend on Facebook, and we can be found tweeting on Twitter. Addiction in the Family is produced, written, and engineered by Kira and Casey Ariaga, with music by Casey.